Okay, welcome to episode 40 of the MUFC podcast. Something again a little bit different during the international break. We're going to have a look back at a career of a player like we did with Wayne Rooney a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Um, actually, there's no point really going in introduction. You've clicked on the, the link and you've seen in the title it is about Paul Scholes. It was his birthday the other day which gave us the idea to do it regarding Paul Scholes. There's a lot of comments on Twitter and Facebook with certain ideas for different types of podcasts we can do, which were really good, some really good ideas. We've stored them all away and me and Larry just decided just... Why not to get, get together and have an hour chat about Paul Scholes? Gets a little bit more enjoyment than what United are current. Actually, United haven't been too bad recently. But, um, yeah, Paul Scholes. Where to begin? He scores goals. He scores goals galore. Actually, that'll be the maybe the intro, maybe the intro, which you've probably already heard, obviously, at the start. But um, thanks for that idea. Um, well, we might as well just start. We'll go get annoyed because the Rooney one went for about an hour. So I'm thinking this will be about the same length of time. The career stats, ups, appearances, trophies, goals, etc. 718 appearances, 155 goals. 150, that's a fair effort. Like, I guess we get into a Lampard and Gerrard debate in the future, but um, 155 goals for someone who wasn't you know, a striker or a natural goal scorer. Um, all 13 league titles, all 13 Premier League titles, three FA Cups, two League Cups. Obviously, the two Champions League titles and the Intercontinental Cup in '99 and the Club World Cup in 2008. He was also put into the English Hall of Fame, I think, mid 2000s or maybe 2008 from memory. Yeah, on, on the left wing. On the left wing with England, yes. Well, I don't know what the English Hall of Fame is, whether it is in regards to England um, performances or just English football in general. But um, yes, we will definitely get into his England career or lack of career for England. Um, and also, kind of weirdly, he only made the PFA team of the year twice. He made it in the 0203 season and the 0607 season. I think um, that's a compliment to the man. Yeah, no, but well, God, we, we get discuss that all day. But um, you look at players like Gerard Lampard; they they featured regularly in those sides. And um, well, okay, it's not a Lampard or Gerard podcast. We'll try and focus on skulls, but I'm sure their names will pop up. Um, when you look at that paper on career, the career on paper, sorry. Um, first thoughts I mean you just have to look at the accolades um, and what he won if you look at the transition of the player as well from a very attacking midfielder to becoming a deep lying midfielder who could just ping a ball around like I've never seen anyone do and I know people talk about Pirlo and Zidane and so many wonderful midfielders who have played the game I can't think of anyone who put the ball right on the point the way Paul Scholes did absolutely majestic footballer actually I was going to touch on it later but um, the first two quotes I wrote down were the two players you just mentioned Zidane and Perlo so I've just scrolled to them on my phone Um, Zidane's quote my toughest opponent Scholes of Manchester he's the complete midfielder Scholes is undoubtedly the greatest midfielder of his generation and Andrea Perlo the truly great English midfield player of his generation as you said, players like Perlo and Zidane, you don't get much better than, but Paul Scholes is one player who you could argue yeah. well, was better than. And um, I think we can always take fan opinion or take the, like an expert's opinion, but when you, you hear a player's opinion, I think that's the one you really have to... You know, that holds the most weight, a player like that, when they and talk. Like these are world-class players who have won ultimately everything in world or European football. And when you, when you consider... Like, you would imagine, right? You, 
as a fan, you're in awe of these players. So for them to then look at their fellow player and to say, he's the best I've ever faced, or Zidane, like to say he's the best of his generation. They're of the same generation. It's insanity. Um, There's no one like Skulls. And to be honest, people always say, especially, we're all guilty of it, when you're building a new squad or when you're where when you're where United is at the moment you, you can't help but look back at what you used to have and say who's the next Paul Scholes I've heard people say it about Garner I've heard people say it about Levitt who the way he plays you know you can make the comparisons but no one does Scholes the way Scholes did like I said have you like, if you think about football like you know you've been watching longer than I have due to your old age um, <laughs> can you think of anyone who could just put the ball somewhere the way he did it's yeah, well, so many facets to his game but some of that in terms of it's a little thing but his accuracy in everything he did yeah whether it was passing shooting look there's this big myth that he couldn't tackle he could tackle he chose not to that he knew what he was doing on those it wasn't a mistimed thing he was just he knew so calculating everything he did obviously he wasn't tackling his great skill but everything he did served a purpose yeah. whether the pass the tackle the shoot everything body feints everything served a purpose now before you actually get into his old sort of career um, and sort of in chronological order etc I don't know if it's controversial but I maybe haven't heard of people really talk about him in this breath but he's the best player I've seen at United obviously there's players like Ronaldo Rooney etc um, but the way I view football he's the best player I've seen and um, Man United have been a the best team in the Premier League era. It uh, doesn't feel like it at the moment, but they definitely have been. The Spoles is a huge part. As I said, 13 league titles. The more I look back at it, and maybe it's just maybe it is biased, but the more I look back at it, if I'm going to say he's the best player I've seen at United, he's got to be the best player in the Premier League history. Would you? I get what you're saying, and I can understand the sentiment, but I, for me, Ronaldo was the best United player I saw. Now, I don't know if you're taking into account longevity. Probably, probably the context. And that's the thing. Because the thing is, if you're talking about, to me, what is the best player you've seen, it's, it doesn't matter if it was for two games yeah. or 20 seasons. The best player I've seen at United is Ronaldo in my lifetime. Yeah. Now, skulls over a longevity of what he's done, okay, I can understand that. But then you could have that argument for gigs. Yeah. Um, and then I'd also say to that, what skulls did was brilliant in terms of his passing, his goals, but... Like, if I was to say, again, comparing with Ronaldo, just pure technical ability, then you have the, the athlete that Ronaldo was. Pace, power. Um, well, Skulls was the furthest thing from an athlete. That's um, what I'm saying. Absolutely brilliant footballer, but you wouldn't call him an athlete, would you? Yeah, no. Well, we'll get in with where I remember when, well, this is a little bit before our time for you, or definitely before my time, a long time before Larry's time, but he's obviously smoking with asthma, furthest thing from an athlete, and the game was obviously a lot more physical, well, said to be a lot more physical at the time when he was coming through. Um, coming through in the class of 92. Technically, if you want to break that myth, he technically wasn't part of the class of 92. He was in and around those players, in and around that team. Which Tom, is, you're, you're rubbing people of millions in marketing, mate. Stop we, now. Yeah, he does have a strong marketing team behind him, but he's actually in the team, the 93 side with Phil Neville, yeah. another non-member of the class of 92, but is considered, and, and rightly so, it's all part of the same group, but um, it was actually in the final the following season in the 93 side with Phil Neville. Came through as a centre forward, if I'm very, not wrong. Pretty much a, a very attacking player. He's almost yeah. just that in and off the striker sort of thing. Um, probably mainly down to his size because he was very small. wasn't, yeah, 
didn't still have is. That. Has it he is. grown in the last since he retired? It's grown outwards. Oh yeah, that's, that's what, growth is growth. Yeah, it is. Um, obviously, his debut in the or for the first team was in the '94 '95 season, and I was, I was looking at this and I was very reminiscent of Marcus Rashford's debut. He scored two goals on his debut against Port Vale, in, not the Europa League, but in the League Cup, so in a cup competition. And then, obviously, in his Premier League debut, he scored a double against Ipswich. And you look at Rashford, scored the double against Midgieland and then the double against Arsenal. Yeah. And I think when you've got two local lads coming through and scoring four goals in their first two games... It How's almost... this for a comparison? Rashford, do you remember Rashford's first two goals against Arsenal? Header. Bottom yeah. right corner. Paul Scholes. Left corner. Composed finished. Header. Was it? Two header. Um, well, Paul Scholes, that's one thing that he wasn't... Um, really give enough credit for he's got a lot of headers he did um, yeah, and he's not a big man at all I think some players like I remember probably the best um, example of that was Tim Cahill mm. some players just have a knack of whether it be finding space or whether it be a timing issue yeah um, yeah Paul Scholes definitely didn't get enough credit for um, his heading ability this might sound a little nuts but if you look at the way Scholes played Scholes was on an advantage against his opposition mainly because of what was happening in between his ears I feel like he could not feel like it. it was clear he could read the game ahead of oh, other people a different level do you reckon he has OCD if you're out with the man in public oh. I reckon I reckon if a bottle wasn't sitting the right way I reckon he'd want to move it and put it in the right way Just, if you think about his pinpoint accuracy well, I've, 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 you follow him as well on Instagram he, oh, mate, when, he's he, when, he's at, when he's out at the pub he's not worrying where the bottle's sitting no as long as it's in his hand so um, no I don't agree that he has OCD but who knows um Maybe we can get him on as a future guest on the podcast, we can ask him. We'll get there. Um, now, obviously, we did come through in that sort of attack and roll, very attack and roll, in, in behind, sort of an old-fashioned number 10, but in and behind the striker. Um, he really got his breakthrough, though, when that whole team, when we lost to Aston Villa on the opening day, where Beckham, um, Beckham's goals, Giggs, or Giggs was obviously very uh, heavily featured in previous seasons, but Nicky Button, the Nevilles, etc., where Ferguson threw them all in when they sold... Um, Conchell Scares, Paul Ince and Mark Hughes where Scholes was the replacement for Mark Hughes because Hughes was that player who could sort of drop was a striker but could sort of drop in Tom, it was obviously before my time so if you're giving me perspective growing up watching these guys Beckham, Scholes, Giggs so now we have hindsight at the time who of those three would have excited you the most because like if we're being honest the Neville brothers weren't brilliant footballers, you know, just you're, you're hustlers. If you'd like, and same as Nicky Butt. So, well, well for me, Nicky Butt was my favourite of that group. Okay. I don't know why, just something about him, just, I don't know. Nicky Butt was always my favourite out of that class of 92, etc. So, he was the one that you thought would be the biggest uh, star? No, no, I, I think, I thought Ryan Gibbs was the best. Right. Um, and obviously, he was maybe a bit more established. Um, and he was a standout player, he was very attacking, that real old fashioned wing, which was such a sort of prevalent part of the way we played so, so much went through Ryan Giggs I don't know why Nicky Butt was my favourite um, maybe I found his name funny when I was a young a young kid someone <laughs> named Butt, Butt. Yeah. Um, yeah so Skulls yeah, like he was sort of went under the radar um, a little bit and when you're that young you don't really appreciate what goes on under the radar um, but also another big part of why he did come into the team not just to replace Mark Hughes but it was obviously when Eric Cantona was banned um was eight or nine months, so yeah. Sort of, what, what did Canton get banned for? Um, had a <laughs> had a discussion with a fan, with, um, <laughs> a discussion with his foot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was lucky. Like you think, if you, you look how his career panned out, and you sort of 
rightfully had a very well-deserving career, but if Mark Hughes isn't sold and Eric Cantona has to get banned, does he go into that team? Like, it's interesting like, how he's... You wouldn't call his career lucky, but... No, but I, I get what you're saying. I mean, if you think about... I'd say this at United for most players, in fact. For most kids to come through, you need an opportunity and an element of luck. You know, if, if you told me in the last five years... Who's the best striker I've seen in United? I'd actually say James Wilson. If you follow him through the youth, his youth career, absolutely ruthless goal scorer. And he was a brilliant footballer, wonderful dribbler. But then Rashford, just out of opportunity, Wilson was injured. Um, Martial. Martial. Will Keane got injured in the warm-up. And then he just got his opportunity, and here he is, mainstay of the first team. Now, if you told me at the time who would, of those two would break through, you'd yeah. say Wilson all day. Yeah. So... Um, and you know what and credit to Fergie and even Van Gaal did this here too you have to have your squad where and this is to all United fans as well when you say you know why don't we get all these top top players if you always buy top players you'll never have kids come through you'll never have a class of 92 you won't see skulls or gigs well you look at what's happening <laughs> in Chelsea now the one time they're forced not to buy players they could sort of and the fans are falling in love with yeah. them so um and also just after that, um, which I don't really remember at the time, but looking back doing a bit of research, it seemed like it was actually quite a big deal. Was Well, there was no secret United definitely wanted Alan Shearer in and around that time, mid-90s, when he was at Blackburn, just won the title with Blackburn, and um, at United's expense, of course. Um, so United were heavily in after, after Shearer, of course. Apparently Blackburn's angle on the deal was, OK, you can sell him, or, well, sorry, we'll sell him, but Paul Scholes is going to be part of the deal. Now... Obviously, didn't eventuate. Skulls stayed United, had a great career. Shearer went on to win absolutely nothing after the Premier League uh, for Blackburn. So, I don't no love lost for Shearer. But if you look back now and, and apply that context to something now, let's just say two players, say, I don't know, Angel Gomez. Um, we could go out tomorrow and buy Harry Kane. But, no, maybe not Angel Gomez, say Mason Greenwood. We go and buy Harry Kane tomorrow, but we'd lose Mason Greenwood. Would you do it? To Tottenham. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. There, there is a sentiment and there is a thing to be said. Yeah, because at, at the time, Alan Shearer was all... I, I get that, mate. I get that. Probably better than Harry Kane. Somewhere. No doubt, but... Now, you tell me as a fan, because like from my point of view, it's that, that it means something to have kids come through. Yeah, no, I think that, that's why you hold on to skulls, but you don't know what career skulls going to have. Sorry, I should point. say, if I was born in the year 2000 or beyond and I was on Twitter right now, I'd be like, yeah, sell Mason Greenwood, get Harry Kane and Mbappe. Yeah. But there is something to be said for having someone who is a United fan coming through your academy, playing for your club. I, I truthfully, and you know what, Stephen Housen says this too, and I agree 100%. You imagine as a fan, when you're out on that pitch, you just give that extra percent. So maybe on a day when Chiro was feeling tired and couldn't bust a lung to get into the box, maybe that's a day that Paul Scholes found the willingness to get into the box and score a last-minute header against Manchester City. Yeah, that goal, actually. I was watching that goal the other day. Thanks for reminding me. I definitely want to discuss that later. But, um, yeah, this is another one of those interesting ones where you look back and you what could have been. Like, could very well have broken the bank for Shearer and lost Paul Scholes and think he obviously doesn't have the career he has then yeah. um, but as you say there's almost a case for every single player having that sort of Paul Scholes would have been the greatest midfielder that league one ever saw could have been playing next to Robbie Slater in Blackburn <laughs> um, obviously he was a was a midfielder back then but obviously a very attacking midfielder and he got his move back, or I don't, I don't know I haven't asked him but a preferred move back into midfield um, when Roy Keane did his ACL 
7.10 obviously missed the best part of the year and that's where Skull sort of just before the treble a year or two before the treble season established himself as part of United you know old school 4-4-2 sort of a two-man midfield um, and so again another one of those things if Keane doesn't get injured Skulls does an event, maybe doesn't sort of progress into that central midfielder. And again, you don't know how career pans out. So yeah. it's interesting. I mean, obviously my memory wasn't amazing at four years old, but um, if you would recall, when Skulls would come into that side, because obviously Keenan and Skulls very different footballers, but complemented each other perfectly. If you looked at it, when Skulls came in, did he try to play a Roy Keane role? Obviously, he wouldn't have the physical capability to do so like Keane, but did he try to sit deep, control the ball, or was he, in fact, well, no, looking he, to get he, forward? He was always like a number... It's hard to say number 10 in a Like two, a number 8? Yeah, yeah, real box-to-box. Box. Um, well, well, both midfielders, really, in a 4-4-2, had the same role. They just executed differently. And, um, but he was definitely the one who had the licence to get forward and... Um, score goals like Roy Keane wouldn't be breaking into the box but Paul Scholes was always ahead of Andy Cole ahead of Solskjaer ahead of Teddy Sheridan sort of thing trying to get goals so his game then was always yeah like a number 10 or a second striker even from the, because back then every single game we dominated there's maybe two games a season maybe in Europe that we didn't dominate so Scholes was always in that advanced position where you look now we don't really dominate those games so our midfielders are so far deeper but back then, it was the norm for our midfield. I'm thinking out loud, but how much would United benefit from having like an archives where if you paid X amount of dollars, you could go back and watch every United game ever recorded? Just think, oh, like me as a fan, like if I could think to go back and watch Paul Scholes in 96, 97, watch the evolution of the player. Because for, like for myself, like I can, I can recall glimpses of the treble and I can pick out pieces of the early 2000s but from like my memories of Skulls will always be that deep playing midfielder yeah. so like I'd love to just go back and compare the two footballers and I know we'll get into it you know which Skulls was the better Skulls ultimately but well I think that's a good discussion like the, which I think you have it with every player like how do you remember a player sometimes you yeah. remember like a kit or remember an error or you remember a goal and I think Skulls is one of those players who had three or four different Skullses like three or four different areas. Which ultimate card of Paul Skulls are you playing on FIFA 20? I haven't got him yet. I well, you said he's out. I'll search for him in the transfer market for any of the, anyone who plays FIFA will know what we're talking about. I can't find him. I think this is the... So the, the Paul Skulls we're talking about now, the one who sat in the midfield in a 4-4-2, that's the one that you can buy Okay. right now. FIFA 20, get on it. All right, if you could send me a link, I'll have a look. But um, Well, we'll get into... We'll get into prime. Which era do you remember? Which you just said there, but which um, we'll get into now. The prime skulls or the skulls you remember? Yeah. Which one is a few? So you look back and think, yeah, that's Paul Skulls. For me, I mean, I'm 25 years old, right? So, as in my teenage years, that's my element of memory for Manchester United as a whole. So I think of Paul Skulls as the deep lying midfielder. You know, the guy who did ping the balls. Um, if you gave me an immediate memory of skulls, I actually don't remember a goal off the top of my head. There was one ball that he gave to Wayne Rooney. And I just remember it. And the thing is, Rooney didn't even finish it. But it just stuck out to me because I remember being... I must have been maybe 12 years old at the time. He just pinged the... I think he must have been 20 yards out from his own goal. He just pinged the ball. Rooney just bursted onto it, got behind the centre-back, controlled it really well. And I just thought... How on earth does a bloke ping a ball? And the thing with Skulls, doesn't need a big runner. No one of pace, just one step, looks up, 
gets the he ball. He had no follow through on his strike as well. Yeah. Um, just sort of just sort of stabbed at the ball. And if you recall Rooney towards the end of his career, people were saying, oh, you know, look at the way he can throw the balls across, lob, do a lob pass. Skulls, the beauty of Skulls' pass, it didn't need height. He could just get it to you at pace, midair. Brilliant midfielder. Uh, 100%. Well, prime Skulls for me, trying to think of how to explain it in terms of the kits, I would say probably if I rounded down for a few years, probably 2002 to 2004, the kit I remember is probably that the Nike with the black sides um, when we had Veron Beckham's last season. Yeah. Um, I think there was a season there, might have been the, might have been the season we won the league, um, Beckham's last season. Um, I think he scored over 20 goals. Is that 2-3 um, season? 0-2-0-3. Oh, yeah. um, just before we went on to not win up for three seasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was just something. He was just, he was just lethal. It was like a Paul Scholes goal guy came with a ticket. Like every week, he was just seemed to be, as I said, over twenty something goals that season. Um, obviously, remember we did go on to win the league that season. Yeah. And um, yeah, for me, and again, he did take nothing away from his later years where he was yeah, a real sort of quarterback, or his early years where he was a real number ten. But that 0-2 the 0-4 sort of era, he was, just, he was just with Keane in the midfield, just back and forth. Old fashioned 4 4 2. Obviously, in Europe, we played sort of five in midfield or a three in midfield. Um, but every second week was an old fashioned 4 4 2. And for me, that's the skulls I remember. Um, well, that's a good transition uh, talking about Veron coming into United. Well, right? Just before that, yes, Veron's my next point, but before that, the um, travel season. Obviously, so backtracking a little bit. How could I forget? Um, and speaking of Roy Keane, which Roy Keane sort of relates a little bit into this, um, yeah. everyone remembers that Juventus semi-final and before the Champions League final, Roy Keane gets suspended. Not many sort of remember or give credit that Paul Scholes was actually booked in that match as well. He missed the final as well. Um, everyone sort of has sympathy for Roy Keane. You almost forget that Paul Scholes missed the final. Um, the goal against Inter. No, no, that's a goal that stands out for me. Not so much... It was a not brilliant. Not a tapping, but just yeah. iconic. I don't know the way the camera angle in front of the away fans in a big stadium. I don't understand how an Italian defence gave Paul Scholes so much time in, in such a crucial moment. You know what? You can almost understand it when you think the goals that Scholes scored from close range, it was almost as if in every instance you can almost identify defenders are just waiting for him to pass the ball. And I think he got that stigma for just, oh, he's, watch his pass, watch who he's going to pass to. So you're too focused on looking who's around him that you forget the man. United put um, the top 10 goals. The goal against Brighton, perfect example of that. Every defender just backed off him. And then he just beat to, they did a slide tackle on him, beat him, bottom corner. Skulls had composure. for a, And you can see why he was such an attacking player in the early, in his early start. I've never seen a midfield, and I know Gerard and Lampard were lethal goal scorers, but the way Skulls finished and the the amount of um, out of range goals he scored, if you put if you had expected goals when Skulls was playing, I would love to see the ratio of how many goals he scored that most people would, you know, Rashford would put in a rosette. Well, he, he wouldn't waste his shots. Whether whether it's goal or not, let's compare it to Ronaldo now. Yeah, Ronaldo's conversion rate's horrible. Like yeah, every yeah, second cool. shot ends up in rosette. Um, where Skulls, even if he was missing, he was making the keeper make a save or he was hitting the woodwork. Like Everything was clinical. Yeah. Like, there was no mistakes in his game because a lot of the time when you shoot from distance, okay, you obviously you're hoping the ball goes in. You're not shooting, you're not putting it in the top corner. You're not aiming at the top corner. You're just trying to hit the target. And um, um, The inter goal, that made it 1-1. Yeah. 
if I'm not right. Yeah, but put it through one. Yeah. Um, Skull scored a lot of important goals, and I think people forget that in his career. Um, I know we'll get to it, but in the Champions League season in 7-8, again, um, the winner against City, he scored a few winners. Um, speaking of important goals, staying on the triple season, he actually obviously scored that left-footed curler against Liverpool at the Stratford end that season. <laughs> but um, a lot of people, again, forget this maybe, but he scored in the FA Cup final um, yeah. against Newcastle, against Alan Shearer's Newcastle. Um, Don't like Alan Shearer. <laughs> left-footer. Um, again, you look back at it and you think that FA Cup final, everyone remembers the the match against Tottenham coming from behind everyone obviously remembers Solskjaer at the new Camp it was the FA Cup final in between which sort of sowed everything you don't have the treble without that and um, yeah. Yeah, I think that goal sort of look any goal is a good goal but a left foot from outside the box you have to take your hat off to him it's know. the epitome of skulls isn't it it's almost a sense of you forget the when you think of the treble I think everyone thinks the Champions League like the vision in your head is the Champions League trophy but it, it kind of Underpin Skull's entire United career, but it's a compliment to the man. It probably suits him that it's that way. Yeah, it stays under the radar, and I feel like his whole career he's just kind of ticked on. But what do they say about defenders? The best defenders are the ones you don't even notice. You could almost say that about Skull's as a midfielder. Yeah, no, I agree 100% there. Um, Okay, we'll go back on to your point there about. I think we'll put these two together Um, one Sebastian Veron and Ruud van Nistrooy. Because obviously this is them sort of the treble skulls, almost in the prime skulls, in my opinion. When we signed Ruud van Istroy, it was when Ferguson started to struggle. I'm not struggling in Europe, but realised he needed a different approach, a different approach in Europe. So we started to flood the midfield, play the three midfield. Obviously, once Sebastian Veron came in, which was the equivalent of now of signing like a Luka Modric or yeah, Tony Cruz, they think of the best midfielder in Europe. It was the equivalent of signing that, and. Um, Skulls actually made a move back into his original position, really attacking almost as a second striker. Um, and he actually did quite well with Ruben Nistroy. But um, it just, for me, Veron did well when he was at United, but everyone sort of remembers his time as a real flop and the wrong signing, which you can all, in hindsight, you can say that. But he did well at United, it just didn't work because he limited Skulls' game by pushing Skulls further forward. Yeah. And for every player will always talk about Ron has been almost the best player they played with the United it just didn't work and there's no I, can't, I don't think you can blame anyone or you can't point the finger at anyone for why it didn't it was just one of those things and I think one of the reasons or one of the big reasons why it didn't work or didn't work completely I went with a overall look at the bigger picture was a limited skulls it didn't get the best out of skulls um, Ron played well but skulls maybe didn't play as well as he could have in that role yeah, I think as a Skulls developed as a footballer, I think he he became more reliant on his football nous, um, or, or you know his brain to put it more simple. Um, Varon for me is the weirdest. He's almost the jigsaw that you can't figure out because if you think of um, if someone said to you before we, you signed him a midfield of Keane, Varon, Skulls, that's oh. your equivalent now of a. Real Madrid's midfield. Well, that's why Ferguson got it because on paper that, that wins the Champions League. No in doubt. That era. Um, Insanity. And, and Veron was good for United. He scored yeah. some good goals too. He's been very good. It's just um, yeah, just one of those things. You always say you need to fit a player into a system, not a system into a player. And I think that's what Veron was. And it, it kind of it sort of alludes to that dry period there, where for three seasons we didn't win anything. Of course, there are other factors, but 
if I was my my vague memories of that season was you just didn't United just didn't click I think that first season they finished third um, it was with the old introduction of Mourinho's new Chelsea yeah. team the Arsenal Invincibles um, speaking of the Arsenal Invincibles from that dry period we'll call it a dry period no, no title in three years um, we also did win the FA Cup um, against Millwall in um, we remember the Ronaldo goal and Van Nistelrooy scored a double that Arsenal Invincible team we beat in the semi-final Paul Scholes scored an absolute rocket but, uh, look it wasn't a long range goal but the way he struck it you've never seen a ball struck it's sweeter and um, yeah, if you look back a lot of people actually forget that goal um, but it was a semi-final goal in the FA Cup against Arsenal like, I think it sort of deserves a little bit more time um, especially winning our only trophy in that sort of lean period um, yeah, a little bit of credit for Paul Scholes if we're not giving him enough credit well we don't remember his FA Cup goal in the trouble season so why should we remember this one <laughs> exactly now <laughs> speaking of something else again people may forget in 2005 down 60s eye injury it kept him out I, forget, I think maybe kept him over maybe two seasons like over the end of one and the start of another season had that eye injury and I forget how it came about I don't know if it was a head clash or just a maybe just a health issue in general but I remember there was a lot of concern at the time thinking it might be actually the end of his career because you, you look back then it was when he just before he started to change his game a lot of maybe arguments I remember Giggs had the same argument that he was at the end of his career so people thought okay this eye injury could prove um, the end of him um, there was a lot of concern I, again maybe a bit younger at the time so I forget the details of it but um, I remember it being a big bit of a scare yeah I mean United. looking into it um, yeah from what I was reading so in, in as recent, I think it was January of that season um, yeah there was genuine fears but so they basically put a four-month deadline on him and they said if his vision doesn't improve by April we might need to pull the pin on his career it got to that point so if you if you look at it and what he achieved in that period it would have been really bittersweet if his season or a career did end yeah. Well, on to, as I said, Skulls does have these maybe three or four different eras, but you could almost simplify it and put it in two parts, an early part and a late part. And I think that is the middle point where now he goes on to have a different type of career where he changes his role, um, sort of into that when Michael Carrick comes in. almost They almost take up similar roles in that era, um, which is weird when you think about it. You should have just have one player playing that role, but they both sort of interchange obviously Carrick when he came in was a little bit more advanced not advanced but did get forward a little bit yeah. more but um, the 07-08 season we might as well get into it at the moment I think a lot of people do remember four goals for the semi, another semi-final goal the one against Barcelona yeah um, that goal for me is you're gonna, this is going to sound stupid you're, you're getting a Larry special now here you know what that goal was that goal was I've been holding in a turd for about three hours and I've finally got to the bathroom and I've let it out because it's Barcelona my wife listens to this Larry yeah <laughs> sure she has bowel movements mate um, because of Barcelona and the team they had at the time and the threats they had that goal was almost like a relief it was like a we've broken the deadlock we're ahead and you've Barcelona came in with an onslaught, but like, for, for myself, I just never felt like we were going to lose the Did leg. You, yeah, there was a... I remember Ronaldo obviously missed a penalty in the first leg. Yeah. But any player, to be able to score the only goal in a two-leg match against Barcelona, when Messi's on the pitch, Xavi and Iniesta on the pitch. Um, and the way he did it, it was... You don't often score a goal from outside the box. Usually a goal from outside the box, you have to drive through the ball. You either have to curl it, 
or put your laces through it. Where he, this was just a slice. He knew exactly what he was doing. Get just a, slice the ball through to get there away spin on the ball away from. I assume Victor Valdez was in goals at the time. Um, he knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't want to hit it too hard. If he hit it too hard, it was going to go too straight. And to have that sort of train of thought, but also the execution to perform that, yeah, I, for me personally, in terms of execution, not his greatest goal, which we'll obviously get into, but I can understand everyone having that as their favourite goal. One, obviously a great goal, but obviously for what it meant, which probably, which we talked about one or two big goals he's had, I think that's his big goal. Not even a debate. It is his biggest goal. Yeah, no doubt. Because if if we don't get through, I think whoever won that leg wins the cha- wins the Champions League. I know Chelsea took us all the way. Chelsea were a good team. No, no doubt. But yeah, yeah, like you felt the winner was coming out of that Barcelona Manchester United leg. Um, Paul Scholes, just composure. I've never seen, and like it's funny when you talk about ruthless strikers. But if Scholes was a striker and he, and if he had pace. I reckon he'd probably be one of the greatest goal scorers we've ever seen. I still remember late in that game, late in the second half, when Barcelona started a pile yeah. forward, and we're only 1-0 up, so an uh, equaliser for Barcelona would have seen them through. Yeah. Obviously, I remember the Skulls goal, and obviously that's the memory that springs to mind, but something that I can't shake was Messi had him isolated in the corner, um, sort of in and around the 18-yard box, and Messi, not even a bit of skill, Messi just jinked past him, and... Um, to get to the byline, I forget if um, Skulls end up fouling him or Messi got across. You know, I forget. We remember Hardy Mouth sort of stuff then, and the way Messi went past Skulls. Like, oh my god, oh, I've never seen a play uh, as a defender. Of course, Skulls wasn't a defender, but so perplexed with the way a player went past him. Yeah. And that's look. Obviously, I remember the goal, but um, the way Messi did Skulls in that game. Um, Although it was Skulls who evaded Messi for the goal. Um, if Messi was awake, Messi potentially could have put a bit of pressure on Skulls, but Skulls is yeah. awake to the danger, I think, Zambrotta. How often um, do you see Barcelona give someone a wayward pass in their own end, though? I'm trying to think. It was a Barcelona misplaced pass oh, that yeah. gave the ball to Skulls, yeah, no, right? Zem, How that, often do you see that? No, Zambrotta. Um, that was the awareness as well. So you sort of anticipate that something like that's going to happen. And, Football um, intelligence. It was almost before the ball came to him, he knew that, OK, I'm going to get this out of my feet and have a shot. Before Zembrot almost played the ball, he knew that was his um, intention. Um, we'll talk about, which we kind of alluded to a little bit before, but the change in role. He was obviously that attacking box-to-box midfielder sort of thing. Um, into, I don't know what you call it. It's the modern-day number six, or a, a lot of people call it quarterback role. It's hard to call him a number six because he, like, on occasion he did get forward. Oh, no, he still... But I think that was um, the case that we dominated so many games he yeah. had the chance to get forward. Yeah, th- yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I guess you'd call him a number six, but... Oh, mate, like, that's the thing, like, I'm just, like, just sitting there now and you just think about it. Um, yeah, like, just the way he dictated games was insanity. Like, can't... It's probably towards the... I'm trying to think the title we won before City won the league. Yeah, the white collar shirt. Yeah. Uh, 10-11. 10-11. That season, there were so many games where Skulls just... He just... We would not lose the ball. Like, it'd be... Once in that 80th to 90th minute, forget it. Well, that was the season we also played... Or went all the way to the Champions League final. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, We lost there, but... Yeah, for me, like, that season sticks out where Skulls would just... You put him, bring him in, even off the bench, keep the ball. Just, we would not lose it. Well, I remember, and it's not a comparison. All that you mentioned before, Wayne Rooney, and the way Wayne Rooney tried to drop deep later in his career and spray the ball. And sometimes that became frustrating with Rooney. 
because you thought, oh god, here comes this Hollywood ball out to the Antonio Valencia on the right wing sort of thing. But with Skulls, Skulls will do that 15 times a game. Yeah. But you wouldn't bat an eyelid. You'd think, fantastic, do what you do. Where with Rooney was, oh god, he's, he's trying to be Skulls here. But with Skulls, it wasn't. It was just, it was like clockwork. Just, natural, it was just right? you got the ball, yeah. you could see someone 60 minutes away, okay, I'll give you the ball next. And the way he, from that quarterback role, the way I, I what I love most about it okay the decision of the pass was always right the weight of the pass was more than the weight of the pass it was the way he could manage like the spin on the ball like he knew where this player 60 yards away where his touch should go so he was able to put the right amount of backspin or top spin on the ball and to be able to do that at that level yeah. at that quality at that, with that execution I don't think you can teach that you know I think oh, that's no. just that's just instinctive it's just touch it's just yeah it's not a you, yeah, you don't train you don't, focus is not on the touch line on the training pitch, sorry, no. teaching Paul Scholes how to kick a ball. Definitely not. It's just, yeah, yeah. touch and technique and I think confidence, knowing how good he was. Oh, yeah. Um, he just, like an arrogant, almost arrogance on the pitch. Yeah. It's almost like he could tell his teammate where to be with his pass. Insanity. Um, yeah, what do we got next? Um, well, obviously, after that, we um, won that league title and then retired. It was almost. A normal decision you think okay well everything's everything good's got to come to an end and um he retired so it was almost okay we'll put that to bed and then when City started the game a little bit of actually because City won the FA Cup that season he yep. got sent off from the semi-final against City um at Wembley for a very good challenge on Zabaleta <laughs> but um so City started to gain a little bit of prevalence then and then um we're obviously in a title race the next season with City and an injury crisis hit I think we you could almost dedicate a whole new podcast to the way Pogba was potentially treated there. Pogba was pissed off that he should have... I remember there was a game against Blackburn, I think. We played with Raphael and yeah. John O'Shea. Lost 2-3. Or, 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 or Raphael and Park, maybe. Yeah. And that was the time, just before Christmas, just before the FA Cup started. I think that was a game where Pogba thought, well, if Raphael and John O'Shea or Raphael and Park are playing in midfield in an FA Cup game, surely that's... Or, no, against a lower league uh, Premier League team surely that's a game I should be playing yeah. and so there's a real midfield crisis there god can you imagine now playing Raphael and could that, that's yeah. like the equivalent of now playing Diego Delo and um, Victor Lindelof in midfield Lingard they say Lingard's <laughs> the modern day Park Ji-sung right so okay Lingard and Diego Delo oh. in, a, in a midfield that, 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 Criminal. That, that's the stage you got to yeah so um, I still remember the memory I have from this when he, obviously everyone knows the story he came out of retirement for that Manchester derby in the FA Cup I remember watching at the casino and this is before I'm trying to think 2012 I'm trying to think what impact Facebook and Twitter had at our, on our fingertips I, forget. I don't think anyone complained from him oh no no but I'm trying to think at the time because I was at the casino and I remember news came through but I can't Did remember Twitter exist in 2012 that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to think how I got through it must have been Facebook MySpace yeah I'm trying Be to bit. think but um I remember I was watching a, with a South African guy who I just met at the, met at the casino on the night and we're just there, and maybe a couple of hours before kickoff, and it, it just started to filter through. Paul Scholes is playing. Paul Scholes is back. Yeah. It wasn't. It was just completely out of the. It wasn't. He couldn't keep it a secret now. Like now, you'll know weeks in advance, oh, yeah. or there'll be rumours or murmurs, or you'll see a photo or something. His trivia for that game, because they wanted to keep it that secret, he didn't wear sponsored boots. He he, he paid. Couldn't, couldn't get. Well, he, yeah. they couldn't let Nike know. Yeah. Um, so he wore like twenty pound boots. He, he, he went down like a couple of mornings before the game. Um, yeah because he couldn't let Nike know to get that pair of boots. So he went to his local uh, JB shop um, in Manchester to get a pair of boots. Obviously Nike. But um, 
I remember that that feeling. It's almost my favourite memory of Skulls that game because I just remember that hour before kickoff thinking Paul Skulls is back. Um, it was an unbelievable feeling. But and I'm, he gave up the number twenty-two for the icon, the legend yeah, the that I- is Ashley Young. The icon, uh, <laughs> Ashley Young. How we've got Ashley Young into this podcast, I do not know. But um, same jersey number. Same jersey. Almost the override memory for that game, though, as good as fantastic as it was. Paul Skulls came in at Trinil up against ten men, and Skulls' first touch gave away the ball. City scored, and City ended up scoring a second at three-two. Could you imagine if City came back from 3-0 down and went skulls at end of the pitch and what a decision that would have looked like? Um, People would be calling for Fergie's head on Twitter. I think Skulls scored in his next game, uh, I think maybe Bolton or someone. Um, he scored on his Premier League return, which... Um, it was like a tap-in. Yeah, it was a tap-in. Yeah. Um, but I still... Look, the Barcelona goal, everything, we all... That's obviously what you remember Paul Skulls at, but one of my favourite memories of play that night um, at the casino watching that FA Cup. Obviously, we won, so it's obviously a good memory. But that feeling an hour or two before um, kick off where you realise Paul Skulls would come back, you'd almost, you could almost come back now. If you dropped, I don't know, five, ten kilos, just got that touch and intelligence, you'd, you'd get that same buzz and excitement. With professional footballers, it, it, it's ultimately down to keeping up with training, isn't it? it it's the constant games, it's the... Well, that, that, that's what he said. He came back to help Warren Joyce train uh, yeah. the reserves. So he was in and he got to the point where Warren Joyce was just taking so much of the training. Paul Skull just found himself training rather than coaching. So he's in and around training to keep himself fit. And then um, apparently he trained once or twice just sort of to make up numbers with the first team. And it was his decision to go to Ferguson and said, look, I'm back, I, I want to come back, whether it's here or elsewhere, I want to play. Um, do you want me to play or not? And Ferguson said, yep. If you were given the opportunity of hindsight to see what would happen with Pogba back then, would you take Skulls or would you give Pogba a shot? In hindsight... 90 million pounds later. Yeah, in hindsight, you'd take Pogba. You look at what Skulls did when he came back, he won one Premier League title. Didn't play a lot. Yeah, no, look, it was fantastic, but yeah, I think you look at what Pogba has cost and hurt us, sort of depends on where you look at it. Yeah, I think in hindsight, it's the wrong decision. Um, but I don't know, football plays out like that. I don't think you can read too much into it, but um, yeah, definitely Pogba's career does play out differently if Skulls doesn't come back. I think that's why Skulls and Pogba have that. Um, the attention between yeah, them. We'll, we'll cover his punditry, but yeah, I definitely don't don't disagree with you there. Um, so obviously came back, won the title. You just remember it as almost Van Persie's title, and Carrick obviously played a big role that season. He did come back and win the title, um, but again in that quarterback role, he's just fantastic. Um, then he obviously re- retired for good, his second retirement, which he apparently sort of realised. A year before, like in the, at the start of that season, I think he said against Tottenham, he had Gareth Bale dribble past him. And apparently, it was almost like a Gary Neville moment where Skulls just said, I can't be doing this. <laughs> Gareth, um, Gareth Bale just run past me, Dembele just run past me. To but, be fair, I think those two yeah. players have run past yeah. many people. But I think Skulls just said, I can't be doing this. So Skulls sort of dug it out for that 12 13 season. And it was good to see him finish, obviously, on a on a high with the Premier League title, his 13th title with Giggs. Um, and our last. Actually, I'll look back at that. I don't know where I got that. I don't think he won 13 titles. Giggs did. I don't know where I got that number. I think Skulls won 12. Um, that's Wikipedia stats for you, which I got at the start, but someone can correct me. Or, Wikipedia's wrong? Outrageous. Or someone has um, obviously moaned at the start of the podcast when I said 13 titles, but I don't think he did because um, he didn't win the same amount as Giggs. Um, 11. 11. So, yeah, I don't know. Apologies for saying 13 at the start, but um, you can 
He's got red hair, mate. You got to give him some something extra where you can. A bit of bonus. Um, we'll go into favourite moments and maybe a top five goals. So I've, I've listed my top five goals. First of all, favourite moment, which I think we've both alluded to, but the actual mind just said maybe weirdly the return against City, but obviously the Barcelona goal. I'm going to say the Barcelona goal's the most memorable. Um, I don't know why I remember the Manchester City header. The header. Well, I've got that in the here. league. Yeah, um, really enjoyed that. I just, I know this sounds stupid, but I really enjoy a, a smaller man scoring a header in the. Uh, what was it? It, it, it was an injury time. Oh, it'd be yeah. an injury time. <laughs> I, I just, I love, I love that Skulls did it because he's just. There's this little guy who monsters around him, football intelligence, 93rd minute, 34-odd years of age, manages to get himself into the box for a header. Well, I've got here my top is it, uh, yeah, top five goals. Well, one, I can't really... Maybe for importance, obviously, we didn't go on and win the league there. Chelsea won the league, but City were starting to come into their own a little bit at that stage. They obviously had Carlos Tevez. But um, I've got tied for fifth, that goal, and also a goal you mentioned earlier against Blackburn, where it was in the title run in that 06-07 season. We had won the league for three years. We were 1-0 down at home to Blackburn, and he just went on this little bit of run. Just, it wasn't a great dribbling run, but just so he went past one or two players and set up the shot, which um, we scored. I think we ended up going on a win 3-4-1, uh, um, which I think for importance, that goal against yeah. Blackburn was massive. I then got his volley against Bradford, is another iconic goal, Beckham's Cross, yep. in the old blue, navy blue shirt with the white pinstripe, um, which I spent hours and hours on the training ground trying to recreate. How did you go? Look, it's actually not the most difficult skill. The difficult skill is getting the perfect cross from the corner and a defender not closing you down. Hitting that volley isn't... Look, it's a nice skill to complete, but it isn't the worst. It isn't the most difficult skill. It's the everything that's around it. A defender closing you down... Um, obviously the goalkeeper making a save yeah. but I think the most important is the corner taker um, picking you out um, the th- at third I've got the Barca goal it's not in my top two okay um, I, I can I know what number one is oh you know what number one is um, which I think everyone sort of does but second which again a lot of people maybe forget is a goal again in the navy blue strip with the white pinstripe goal against Middlesbrough where the ball was coming across from the right-hand side and he still struck with his right foot. And you look at the reverse angle, the way he just lays it in right into the near post. Now, anyone who played the game, hitting that on your right foot shouldn't be done, right? You cannot put that where it went if you hit that with your right foot. You have to struggle with your left foot. But the timing on it was unbelievable. And again, that was a strike from 30 yards. So I think a lot of people do remember that, or if not YouTube it, Skulls against Middlesbrough. But his best goal, Aston Villa. Oh. Honestly. The, the distance that ball dropped from. And um, I still remember the goalkeeper. When the goalkeeper, it was the goalkeeper who wore, wore those baggy pants. When the ball hit the crossbar and came down and hit the, hit the goal, um, sort of hit the goal line, the keeper got up trying to save it again because he thought it might not have gone in. The keeper didn't have a clue where it was. That is, you know the word rocket? If, if I've ever seen one, mate. He hit it so casually, but I've never seen a ball. It could have sucked. A lace different. If the ball hit a different lace, it could have ended up over the stadium roof. Here's one for you. Rooney's volley against Newcastle. Oh, uh, that's not even a debate. Okay. Not even... Would you like to debate it? No. Uh, 100% the Skulls volley. The, um, the grin on your face tells me I've, <laughs> I've been defeated. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously take nothing away from 
Rudy's goal. That's the skulls. Skulls that. didn't really overly celebrate, did he? He, he never went over the top. Uh, actually, that, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Um, that goal. I re- do remember he sort of ran away more in. I think that the whole reaction. I remember the Cameron Pant and the bench. It was more in laughter, thinking, "What on earth has just happened?" Yeah. Like so, the celebration was obviously one of joy, but more just. Did everyone just see that? Like I remember the played reaction. If you scored a goal like that, would you play it, or would you be like? Well, you know, I think I would just you wouldn't. So you just walk away thinking. I'd, I'd act like yeah, I knew I was. I'd act, you'd, you'd act. You'd show a face of I meant to do it, but you'd, in your head you'd like, oh, what a fluke! <laughs> Nearly said something else then. Um, yeah, but again, I think that you look back as one of the moments you do remember. Yeah, I doubt. Um, okay, we'll get into now. Actually, we'll go to Facebook and Twitter. A few people have left. Um, comments and etc on their memories etc so um, we'll go Trent Merritt on Twitter you can follow him at red underscore t underscore devil it is one we didn't mention he goes that touch uh, just I asked um, any memories or fa- favourite moments from Paul Scholes he said that touch passed to John O'Shea to make a 4-2 at Highbury I could almost do a podcast on that game that 4-2 game at Highbury but they're outside of the foot Find John O'Shea around the corner. Yeah, one of those passes, unbelievable. Um, and he also goes into the Gerard debate. He goes, Gerard and Lampard can lace one boot each, not even close. Um, Vin at Mad uh, Aussie Guy on Twitter said the volley against Villa from a corner. Hashana Martin on Twitter also the goal against Barcelona, obviously. Um, Edge Gibson nine on Twitter. The word legend is overused in my opinion, but this man most definitely fits the bill. Danny Carter on Twitter, Danny Carter 1990. His favourite goal was obviously against Barca, but I love his equaliser against Inter Milan, which obviously you referenced before. Um, and we'll go on to Twitter. I remember Josh from the podcast, the podcast last week, which you remember, um, put a comment on, which I will just find now, um, saying the goal against Barcelona in, in Actually, he's got 08 09. The, the Barca goal in 08 was unreal. You could see he had that cloud over him from being suspended in 99. And Fergie said after that game he'd be the first name on the team sheet for the Gee, Chelsea. You reckon, Skulls carry, you, reckon he, you reckon he thought about that? The, for you the think he's thinking final. about 99 when he. Being harsh on him, Josh. Jeez. On 99? Well, let me read the comment again. What's the comment? Well, so, so he's saying like he, he had the cloud of 99 hanging over him from being suspended for the for well, the I think that plays. When you get to a semi-final, realising you're that close. Yeah. But, but Approaching I, the end of his career. Sorry, mate. I'm just still salty about you giving Martial three points the yeah. other week. But um, I think that's an interesting point where Ferguson always had that selection issue before a Champions League final yeah. where a lot wasn't so much down to picking the best player for that role. A lot of it came down to loyalty and repaying maybe something happened uh, previously. Um, so again, thank you for all those um, comments, people who have been involved with that. Um, we'll go into his, we're about to wrap up now, but we'll start maybe his managerial career. He's very short one, so it'll only take 10 seconds. Um, seven games for Oldham. How many did he win? I didn't look that far into it, but seven games, I think. I think it was, it's just summed up Paul Scholes perfectly. He went in there thinking, OK, I'll do something. I'll enjoy this. I'll do what I can. But then realised he wasn't going to get his way and just said, well, I'm not going to be if I'm not going to get my way. There's no point wasting my time. And it was real. I respect that about Scholes. I, th- I think it's something that, as bad as it went, I think you can have, or you do have to take your hat off and say, well, fair play. Like, I don't agree with everything he says at the moment. But if there's one thing I can give the guy credit for, everything he says, you can see, like, he says it with 
no regret. Yeah. Everything he says is from the heart. It's what he means. If it rubs you the wrong way, so be it. Well, we'll finish there. Well, we'll finish on that topic now in terms of his modern day career is his punditry, obviously. Um, again, 99% of what Paul Scholes says, I agree with and respect and listen. I hold his opinion with a lot more weight than a lot of people. But, um, or than a lot more of the pundits you see on TV. But one of the things I respect about Paul Scholes when he was playing was, which, which everyone remembered, was how quiet he was. He didn't sort, sort after the limelight, didn't do these interviews, etc., which is something we all loved about him. Now that he's retired, he can't shut up. And as much as I respect and value everything he says, sometimes I just think he adds to the problems. Yeah. I think, just shut up. You, could, you didn't say a word for 25 years. And now you're looking for microphones to say something controversial about the club. I think with Skulls, he he's clearly one who... I'm not going to say people are in the Glazers' pockets. and I don't, I don't believe in that. But I can understand if you're an ex-player, especially a prominent ex-player, why you don't want to speak out against them. It puts you in a bad light. If you want to have a relationship with the club down the track, again, you're burning bridges. I can understand that. Skulls clearly does not care. Yeah. He will go on there and say whatever he wants. And you know what? Some of his controversial comments I, I agree with. Um, the stuff around Pogba, I think, can be unfair, um, which we did touch on earlier. But he, at times he, he said, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't perform in big games or he's not, he's not showing consistency. I don't think that that's fair, you know, because especially in the case of Pogba, if Skulls didn't have Keane behind him or Carrick behind him, would Skulls have stood out the way that, you know what I mean? Like, I just I feel like he could he could be a bit more sensible in that respect. Well, it's almost like which we almost forgot to mention, but his England career, um, you look there where it's a, it a whole different debate for another day. But um, was almost which he has said he actually didn't mind playing too much on the left because he had a little bit more space. But it was this whole Gerrard and Lampard where the Golden Boys now are the ones thrown in midfield where Skulls is the one sacrificed yeah. and he didn't get the best out of him because, which he has said he did like or didn't like but he didn't mind it but um, yeah it's one of those things where not in your preferred position not with those preferred people around you you're not going to get the best out of you and I think that's something which it's not a poor problem podcast it's something probably does suffer from where I think Skulls did not have it easy well maybe he did have it easy at United but it's a completely different era and context to be able to compare well this is what I did at United, this is what he should be doing at United. Yeah. Um, Look how Pogba's used for France. You yeah. got, you can, Even in, like people say Pogba can't play in a two. For France he plays in a two. You put Kante behind him who will cover every blade of grass for you. Pogba, go forward do whatever you want. Well the thing with Skulls, and again we don't want to finish this on a negative because he's probably my favourite ever player for United but um, well, it, 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 well, we'll get in there, we'll, we'll finish on that one. Right. But um, yeah, don't hear a bad word from Skulls about Lingard. No, you don't, do you? Um, he lays in a problem. He has his favourites. Um, which is fair enough, everyone has their favourites, but you just think with his influence and with his the platform he has, I think he should take a little bit more responsibility and care with what he says. Because 100% he's entitled to his opinion and should respect his opinion. And I value it more than, more than most. But I think he should sort of... I don't want to say rein it in, but I think he needs to take a little bit more care and thought, which maybe is something... Speak with the brain, not with the heart. Yeah. But again, it, that's something I respect about him, which he doesn't care, which is so that balance and act, which... Yeah, but I don't think it's fair to criticise Pogba and not Lingard, is it? Yeah. Um, real. Oh, but um, I think... Well, we'll finish here just so we... Uh, just on wrapping up, Roy Keane, Paul Spiles, obviously my two favourite players. Roy Keane is my favourite player. Um, always will be. 
that, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Paul Scholes, and I've seen Ronaldo play, I've seen Rooney play, I've seen Roy Keane play, all these great players. Paul Scholes is the best player I've seen at United. And I, I can understand the case for Ronaldo and maybe Giggs or Rooney, etc. I understand on their day, yes, or the way they influence the game, yes, or the way they, sorry, they impact the game in terms of the direct result. But the best footballer I have seen at United is Paul Scholes, um, without doubt. Um, which was kind of alluded to before, but so that best midfielder I've seen at United, midfielder. Paul Scholes. Yeah. Um, best player I've seen, Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, well, just about wraps up. We're coming on to just a bit, almost an hour, which is good. Um, is there anything we missed on the yeah just like the one, long career just, of Paul Scholes? Yeah, just one thing to add. Eleven more titles than Steven Gerrard. Well, we've got the same amount of titles. Nothing to crow about. We've got the same amount of titles as Stevie G. Which we, I think, is a good podcast for the future if we can find a Liverpool. I don't really know a Chelsea fan, like a genuine Chelsea fan, but I do know a few Liverpool fans. Maybe we can get um, three or four people around and have a real. Gerard edu- Lampard skulls debate. Well, no, no, not so much a debate. We can just like, educate people on why skulls is better. Is, yeah, I'd agree with that. It's no, there's no debate. Here's one for you: Who will skulls better midfield partnership? Skulls and Keane or skulls and Carrick? Uh, look, I was going to say the way what we won under Skulls and Keane, but if you actually look back, we won everything under Skulls and Carrick. Yeah. Um, actually, one, maybe not an FA Cup. No, we didn't. But, oh, um, no. 2005? No, Carrick wasn't there. No, you're right. No, it wasn't there, there. The, the Season after. Yeah, so um, the, the way I view my football, one of each, Keane, Keane and Skulls, I think Skulls and Carrick were very similar. Um, but yeah, you make it. You definitely make a case for both. But for me, I think prime skulls, which I said before, was 0-2 to 0-4, and obviously Roy Keane was his partner there. Being a football nerd now, would prime Roy Keane play well with end of career Paul Skulls? Because the brilliance of the combination was Skulls got forward. Yeah. Was that too too deep? Yeah. For both of them? Yeah, I think that'd be too too square too. Um, flat next to each other you'll need that energy that guy would have loved it yeah definitely um, but he, I don't know you put, here's one put, put, imagine a midfield I think on paper probably perfect Roy Keane Paul Scholes Paul Pogba I don't know how oh. I don't know how it would work in the dressing sorry, room sorry Tom I'm going to have to leave I need to go to the bathroom <laughs> and clean myself up well I don't know how it would work on um, the dressing room um, I think Keane would have been good for Pogba I really do well enough about Paul Pogba apologies for those who aren't great fans of Pogba for bringing him into a Paul Scholes debate but obviously two very famous Pauls in the midfield of Manchester United's history um, again thank you everyone for listening to this hope you enjoyed it rather than the usual transfer nonsense or discussing a United loss although United have been performing quite well recently so hopefully you enjoy this type of podcast if you do um, let us know any other player you want us to speak about even if you want to come on yourself and educate me Larry if you're a bit older and want to talk about I don't know someone like Brian Robson or Norman Whiteside I've had a few shouts which obviously we can't talk too deeply about so if anyone has any opinions or ideas for a show like that um, please get in touch um, again follow on MUFC Pubcast on Facebook Twitter and Instagram um, as we've mentioned on social media recently we're closing in on 5,000 downloads which is quite incredible when we think about it um, considering where we started and no advertising no money just two guys having a chat about United after work started from the bottom still on the bottom (laughs) we'll finish there so again thank you for listening and see you next week cheers